Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 48. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me every week is graduate of Charles Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters, Mitchell Davis. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> that would have been that would have been really cool. Well, not much back to back podcast for us for the first time in a long time. Yeah, um, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing great, man. How about you? Good, busy, tired, yeah, busy, tired. You know, yeah, but you you get stuff. to go to Puerto Rico next weekend. That's awesome. Poss- possibly, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's there's a place, uh, it's actually an island just away from Puerto Rico called Vieques. I think that's how you pronounce it, where apparently they have like a sort of like an estuary or like a nature reserve you can go to. There's um, a cave where they have this naturally occurring blue glowing water. I, I've seen pictures of it and I'm like, you know what, we need to go. We need to go see that. And wow. I'm, I'm really excited about that. That's going to be fun. Hopefully we get to do it and it doesn't fall through yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. Our yeah. plans coming anyway. But uh, yeah, this should be fun. Hopefully. Cool. I'm going <laughs> to be, I'm going to be on an, another podcast next weekend. Wow. How many podcasts do you actually have? Well, it won't, it's I mean, not well, my podcast. It's not your, your podcast. I'm going to be on somebody else's podcast. Yeah. Um, the podcast is called Sound Notion. Uh, but my other podcast, uh, maybe some listeners of a thousand recordings know about it, but uh, my other podcast is called all the cool parts. It's a classical music podcast. And it just recently, um, I joined up with, uh, sound They're sort of a classical music collective where they do different podcasts about classical music and stuff. And, Um, so I'm going to be on that podcast next weekend and then, so that's why we can't do one of these next weekend, but Uh, I see. Yeah. But you, that's three, that's three. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Should be, should be fun. You know, I, I, I love that podcast that, that those guys do over at sound notion. So, um, it's kind of, uh, I mean, I would say, you know, definitely check it out if you like music or interest in classical music. I mean, the Sound Notion podcast is kind of a kind of a very inside baseball kind of, po- <laughs> you know, it's a very insider kind of podcast. It's like a new, <clears throat> some, sort of like a news, current events, what's going on in the classical music world, you know, right oh. now. So, I mean, if you're interested in that, you know, uh, uh, it's a lot of inside kind of talk, but um, it's it's a really cool program. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Check that out. Definitely. Yeah. But, um, yeah, man, this week on the show, we've got a kind of, a an all rock show and bands that have been really influential and artists that have been really influential on rock and roll. Um, period. Oh, yeah. period. Yeah. We've got, uh, Elvis Costello, his album armed forces and then cream their album, Disraeli gears. And finally, Creedence Clearwater Revival, their album Willie and the Poor Boys. So, uh, some great stuff. Um, we're going to start with Elvis Costello, Armed Forces, released in 1979. This was his third 
album. And uh, Elvis Costello, uh, born in 1954 in London, um, came up in the 70s as part of this kind of uh, new wave of British punk pop that was coming out. You know, less less punk. He's got some punk, you know, some some punk in there, but certainly less punk than like Sex Pistols or something. Yeah, punk um, sensibilities, I would say. Punk sensibilities, yeah, yeah that's good. I love the way Tom Moon describes him in the book. He describes him as an avenging geek. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I like that, that description of him. Um, yeah. Uh, Elvis Costello, another example of a singer songwriter, some, somebody who's really a singer songwriter at heart, you know, where the lyrics mm-hmm. are a huge part of the music. And, uh, this is something that I've had trouble with, <laughs> as you know, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, in the past, and I'm, I'm trying to get better, you know, um, by reading the lyrics and, and really, really trying to understand what they're saying and how it relates to the music and stuff like that. Uh, I tried to get Brian Clark to come back on the show this week. He couldn't do it because he was busy, but he is a huge Elvis Costello fan. And really? um, wow. I think he would have offered some some good insight <laughs> into the album uh but uh um what do you think of uh, of him because i you know elvis costello is somebody that i have heard over the years in bits and pieces and songs here and there i've yeah. I, I admit i've never owned an elvis costello album um i know that probably you know <laughs> ex- excludes me from the hipster roster or whatever but um yeah what what do you think of elvis costello well i'm about like you where i i've I've never owned one of his records but i've always really admired him um first of all going back to the whole you know you know hipster geek look i mean obviously especially when elvis first started he looked very nerdy i mean the glasses the pants they were almost like high water and you know he was just spastic looking, but the music was was of a sort where you could tell he was just so passionate about whatever it was he was singing about, and and in the manner he he delivered. I mean, you know, it was rock and roll, but it was sort of in a you know, like you said, like like punk or new wave type, you know, style. The way he he brought it, and. Um, I think the one thing about him is that he's he's so smart in in how he sort of lays out different things in life as far as relationships, you know, social ills, you know, politics and, and the dealings of of that sort. Where he's he's so smart about how he puts that in the lyrics, and I mean, it makes you want to go down and, and look at what he's saying literally throughout the song. You know, where it's like. You know, this guy's it's like he's taken, you know, a love letter or a poem and made a rock and roll song out of it. You know, I mean, that's what I get from Elvis Costello. I mean, he's yeah, he's his smart lyrics like that. are very poetic. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and it's interesting because I went and and, you know, found the lyrics online and read through the lyrics several times of the, the songs we're talking about. Well, you know, like the first song we'll get in the first song. Accidents will happen. Um, I went and looked, read the lyrics you know, and it is much like reading a poem and his lyrics are, they're really cool. 
but they're much more vague and kind of cryptic than something like Creedence Clearwater Revival, which those lyrics yeah, are, most are definitely. absolutely <laughs> just, just they're just what they are, you know? And so there's nothing yeah. cryptic about those lyrics. Um, no. And I'm not totally sure what accidents will happen is about. Um, I think it's something about relationships, uh, you know, maybe casual relationships or bad. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I read well, through and, it several times. I don't know what it's about. That's, <laughs> that's one of the things about him. That's really interesting is like you said, that cryptic nature and some of the, the songs like accidents will happen where the lyrics are debated. They still are debated. And I mean, people have even tried to pin what, you know, Elvis himself has tried to describe, like some people have said that, that this song is about his, his first marriage. I mean, it was, he was really young, you know, he's famous. And all of a sudden he has like women lined up around the block. You know, there's so many fish in the sea and it's hard when you're in a relationship with someone and you're trying to keep it going, but you know, it's going South mm. and it's going South fast. And the, re- and the reasons why you stay in that relationship where there's a person you know that you're about to hurt, but it, it, it cuts both ways, you know, you know, used to be a victim. Now you're not the only one. I guess that's, you know, where that lyric may come from, because some people have also tried to add that to maybe there was a, you know, a child and, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff. I mean, Elvis Costello, I think, you know, somebody that that that, that comes to mind when I think of him and songwriting, ironically and weird, weird enough, is De La Soul, where huh. they write lyrics in a song where you're you're like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> you know, and sometimes you have to do some research and dig deep, you know, to see what's beneath the surface of the song, and that's that's what I love about him. He's he's so smart in that sense where, like I said, he's he's passionate, but he's he's writing, you know from his heart and his head and um you know he's just got so much going on i mean that he he can just put into a song and then the way he he brings the music about i mean he he's he's pretty creative i mean you know in, in the yeah, sense where he yeah. kind of does all kinds of stuff in the studio you right, know and i right. guess i think like nick lowe produced this record you know cruel to be kind nick lowe um He's a pretty smart guy as, as far as, you know, getting behind the boards and, and making rock and roll records. I And I, you know, rock and roll IQ is something that I, I like to throw out there with certain people. I think Nick Lowe is one of those guys. He has a very high rock and roll IQ when it comes to making records that sound really good, you know, as far as layers. Uh, yes. Uh, what Phil Spector had one. Um, Trevor Horn, his is way off the charts. Um uh, some old uh, Jeff Lynn, who you know ELO. There are some people that they can just get in the studio and make magic. And this record is like that, where almost every song the production is so very tight and and creative, and 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 it's just walls of sound, beautiful sound. Yeah. You know, yeah. Along with the you know the lyrics and I agree and, and yeah. performance. That's so. that's that's a great observation. It's not anything I even wrote down, but you're right. I love how the sounds are combined sometimes in such a way that it sounds like one sound. Like sometimes yeah. they'll combine like the distorted guitar with a piano or an organ or something, but it doesn't sound separated. It sounds like it's sort of like 
you know, you took uh, two primary colors of paint and then you smear them together. You know, it's, it's like a whole new thing, but it's it's one thing. That's, that's yeah. kind of what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, some records, I mean, the, the overdubbing and all that kind of stuff, it, it can be very obvious, but it doesn't come over that way with this record where, you know, it, it's it, it just blends very well. Like you said, I mean, it's, you know, you know, just just really good the way it mixed. But, um, cool. Well, right. you got I think you really got this song and I think I understand it a lot better now that you've explained it. Um. <laughs> yeah. And then also too, this song has a it has one of the coolest videos I've ever seen. I posted it on on our Facebook page. I love the video for this song. It's it's all animated, you know, you know, kind of, you know, computer generated for, for what it was worth back in the day. Uh, animated video and I, I've always loved the way this video looks it's just very cool and creative and the way they they had the band kind of sketched out and, and the, the graphic design of the whole thing this is one of my favorite videos that I've ever seen huh cool I haven't watched it I'll have to check it out cool awesome well, let's listen to this cool uh, this is Accidents Will Happen from Elvis Costello oh I just Accidents will happen, and we're going to move on to a song, Goon Squad. Um, and maybe you can shed some more, <laughs> some more light on these lyrics. I mean, again, uh, it's I think it's a little more clear than Accidents Will Happen, but it's kind of again kind of vague, you know. It's yeah. uh, I don't know if it's like and just anti-establishment or making a commentary on going into the military or something. I'm not sure. Um, what do you think? <laughs> I think it's kind of a, a lot of that where, you know, you, you, you sort of have, I, I don't know, like a, 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 a force of, not a force of nature. That's not what I mean. Like a, like a, like a force that's, that's constantly in society that, that's, that's sort of like putting the boot on you, if you would, you know, <laughs> If, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, it could be like, you know, as you're just walking down the street on a, 
on the daily, just minding your own business and like the, the whole stop and frisk thing in New York that was going on or like a peaceful protest that goes very, very bad very quickly because it's just like we're not going to allow you to be here. And if you stay, you know, you're going to get busted up pretty bad. Right. You know? Right. And, and I mean, that 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 goes on. It, it could be on any level. You know, that's that's kind of what I took from from this song. Um, and, um, and it's just one of those deals where it, it's ever present, even now today. I mean, this album came out years ago, but, you know, the, the Goon Squad is is alive and well. <laughs> so, oh, sure. I mean, we could have seen that recently in the, the Occupy Wall Street um, protests. And yeah. You know, but that's. That's kind of what, you know, I got from this, not just not just any any sort of, you know, military or, or police, but just any kind of establishment like that. That's kind of, you know, pushing in sort of like a, a fascist, you know, platform, if you would, you know, you know, do what we say or or else. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing I really liked about this, just this album as a whole, not not just this song is. um the music is cool. It's cool and interesting. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not just focusing on the lyrics. Um, there's really cool musical stuff going on in this song, man. I love the part. It's, it's like, um, I don't know, three quarters of the way through. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's like the third verse, <clears throat> excuse me or something. But, um, the voice like re- recedes like way into the background, like uh, production wise. And then all the instruments drop out except for the bass. And the bass is just like right in your face, like right in the foreground. Um, and it's just bass just playing away. And then this voice just way, way in the background. And then everything comes back. So I just, I, I just little moments like that where there's this variation, you know, it's not just repeating the same thing over and over again. You think something has happened in the song where it's like, yeah, what, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah, I, that's what happened to me. I I was across the room and and I could just kind of I was like, did something happen? <laughs> so I was like, what the hell was that? Yeah, you know, and, and so. you know this. Who knows? I mean, but this this might be something that uh, we can attribute to Nick Lowe again. You know, his production input on the album. Who knows? I don't know. It, it could have <laughs> yeah. been Elvis, but yeah. It could have been just some something spontaneous between the both of them. I mean, yeah. he's he's one of those guys that's, I guess, somewhat you know, notorious for that. I mean, I don't know if you ever heard about the thing where he went on Saturday Night Live one time, like way back when their, I guess, their first or second record was out, and they were they were starting to tour the United States, and they they were on Saturday Night Live, way like old school, not ready for primetime players Saturday Night Live, and they they had this song that apparently they were supposed to do. You know that that was approved by you know Lauren Michaels and the label wanted them to do this song, and and they started playing it and they stopped, and then Elvis Costello says no I'm I'm sorry we we, we can't do this and then they go back into playing um, a different song um, I think the song's called Radio Radio I know that's the, yes. the refrain in that on that yes. song yeah it's Radio Radio and, yeah and um that was from like a a, a, was it like a previous hit? There's like one of their first hits, and Laura Michaels apparently was really hot like fire and banned them, literally banned them from the show for years, where they could not play yeah, on Saturday yeah. Night Live. And uh, yeah, you know. I mean, I I've seen this clip before, um, and I, I read about it. You know, Elvis Costello, like you said, he was very smart. I think he pulled some stunts. 
yeah, in the early yeah. days because it said that um, the Sex Pistols had done this exact same thing on British television a year earlier. Yeah. And they caused a big sensation. And, uh, you know, he, he pulled some other stuff like uh, in the early days, you know, he was on a British label that wasn't distributed in the United States and they wanted to be distributed in the United States. So he busked like on the street corner outside of a, it was like a CBS or Columbia records. I can't remember. Um, like, uh, executive, uh, meeting or something. And he, he <laughs> like, he, yeah, he like planted himself outside the door and like played for these. people, <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, then he got signed to that label. And, uh, you know, I think in the early days he was just fearless in that way, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is uh, pretty cool, but, uh yeah, let's let's listen to Goon Squad. Cool. All right, this is Goon Squad from Elvis Costello. I can try to chain a mail for being a Christopher Lee. Looking for a lucky girl to put me in the pit. They pack some good guys on the back and put some to the rod. But I never thought they'd put me in the Goon Squad. They're going to look you over and give them you the eye. Goon Squad. heard goon squad from elvis costello and we're going to move on to cream their album disraeli gears released in 1967 and uh this was kind of the first super group you know <clears throat> super group meaning uh taking members from already established groups that are already really popular and then making a band out of those members you know right Mm-hmm. And this has become known as the supergroup, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this was uh, uh, Eric Clapton on guitar, Ginger Baker on drums, and uh, Jack Bruce on bass and lead vocals. And uh, Clapton came out of a couple bands, uh, the Yardbirds and John Mayall's Blues Breakers, um, which he was bored with both of them and wanted to do something different. And Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce came out of a band called the Graham. Uh, oh, what was it? 
Graham um, Bond organization. I think that's right. I think that, yeah, that sounds right. Graham um, Bond organization. Um, and I thought it was interesting to read about Ginger Baker's and Jack Bruce's super volatile relationship. Uh, (laughs) unbelievable I didn't know know that (laughs) yeah I mean they just hated each other when they were in this band they would constantly do things to sabotage each other and like you know sabotage each other's instruments and all this kind of stuff no wonder they didn't last (laughs) yeah I mean they would come to physical blows like physical fights fist fights and then in the end uh, Jack Bruce fired Ginger Baker from that band you know for this reason and Ginger Baker kept showing up at practice and gigs to the point where Jack Bruce had to had to chase him off with a knife. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then, uh, you know, uh, Bruce, uh, Jack Bruce meets, you know, Eric Clapton. They get together like we should form a band. And Eric Clapton's like, well, I'll, I'd love to form a band, but I want to bring in uh, you know, I want to bring in Ginger Baker, and Jack Bruce was like, "What no way?" <laughs> this, and so they put their differences aside for a while, you know, for a few years at least, um, to record some music, and then of course, you know, as you would expect with the pressures of touring and and making albums and getting more successful and all that stuff. I mean, just, it just all blew up again, you know, where they could not function, you know, together. And it just, it just devolved into them just kind of going at each other's throats constantly. And then Eric Clapton in the middle, just constantly trying to play peacekeeper. And of course Clapton was just like, he didn't want to deal with that, you know? So it just all fell apart, you know? So they were only together. They were not together very long. I mean, uh, maybe like three years or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which but, you know, yeah. some some of this, like like okay, like this album in particular, we're talking about. I mean, they 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 recorded it in less than a week, which that's pretty indicative of their whole history. Where they, I mean, they were grinding out stuff, you know, as they would do it. You know, just it's like you know, we don't, we don't have a lot of time before, you know this all implodes so let's hurry up and and do what we need to do you know and then some of it not seemingly starting off very well like you know the the original guy i guess who's the producer not the producer the the uh the label head or whatever was trying to produce the record and they had to get rid of him and bring in somebody else and you know you know just the fact that this this record itself almost didn't happen you know or would have sounded much different had they not, you know, brought in some new creative sort of, you know, ideas and, you know, pedals and, you know, for distortion on right, right. Clapton's guitar. I mean, and it's hard to imagine, you know, that that all that, you know, was just, you know, a couple of people being shuffled in and out, so to speak. It was, it just seemed like, like you said, the whole thing was just very, very fragile and very volatile, yeah. you know, in the mix, so to speak. So. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned like their use of new ideas and new effects and all that stuff. And I, I think it was one of the first bands to really break out huge with this psychedelia, you know, idea, you know, this, yeah. this psychedelic rock idea, um, sort of blues and rock mixed, mixed with drugs. I don't know. How do you, 
<laughs> How do you explain psychedelia? Uh, I guess some of it is just, you know, songs that kind of jam on where, you know, it's it's not just like, hey, we're making this, you know, two, three and a half minute song so they can play it on the radio. No, we're just going to kind of play for ourselves as if we were in the studio with the tape not even running, you know. And I, I think that's a big part of where they were, where they were more free to kind of play around with different ideas in the sense where they had, you know, not just rock and roll minds, but but sort of blues and jazz and, and whatever else they wanted to play. And, um, you know, that was good and it was bad, I guess, where, you know, it's like, you know, what are they? What are they doing? You know, how what do we call them, you know? How do we classify them? You know, and it's, and it's just one of those things. It's like you know, we're just musicians. We're 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 playing with new ideas. We're, we've got stuff we want to do. We got stuff we don't want to do. You know, sometimes we're not getting along. You know? Yeah, it's just you know, just kind of like you know, I like I said I and I don't really like like I said you could call them I guess like a, like a jam band. You know, like that would go on like some of the Grateful Dead and and I guess nowadays like bands like Fish or whatever, but. I, I, they're more than that. I mean, you know, definitely psychedelic, you know, I mean, with the distortion and, and, and fuzz that was mixed in with, with Eric, but, but still kind of bluesy influenced, you know, it's, I don't know. Yeah. Not, I know what you're saying. Not, yeah. Not really. Yes. Acid rock, just kind of just the beginning of a lot of that, I think. Right. So. Right. Um, well, we're going to start with Sunshine of Your Love this hugely pervasive song, uh, very influential. And one of those, I think w- one of the, the, those guitar riffs, you know, alongside yeah. Iron Man and smoke on the water that, you know, everybody, everybody wants to learn how to play. Everybody that. plays. And, um, one thing that got me about this song, you know, I've heard this song a, a million times, but, uh, I sat down, you know, with, with headphones and really listened to it, you know, in a quiet environment. And, uh, we were talking about production, on the Elvis Costello and the production. One thing that, that sort of struck me about this song is the production is so just bare and raw. I mean, it's almost like just a recording done in a garage or something. Mm -hmm. It's so bare and just so raw and unaffected. And, um, and I don't know, I guess I never just really noticed, you know, how raw it was, but it, it works so well you know yep like i said it, it was it's like some guys that you know what the tape's not on nobody's really here we don't have an audience yeah. we're, we're just playing and 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 that comes through like you said where it is raw but it but but it, there's an appreciation for that rawness because it's it's so up, up front and in your face and 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 not pretentious and you know and and, and lyrically too i mean going back to the whole poetry the lyrics for Sunshine of Your Love, it's it, it's like a poem, you know. As a matter of fact, it seemed like, you know, whoever had, had written the lyrics, I mean, they, they they had to have been a poet, I mean, as far as, you know, the inspiration. And, um, you know, I, I, would, I would dare to say, I mean, they, it was probably a poem before it was a song, you know. Um, and it's, it's kind of hippie-ish, you know, going back to the whole psychedelic thing and, you know, and then that that riff, like you said, it's it's like you know, I'm I'm pretty sure they 
they were inspired, you know, themselves by people. I mean, that was that was kind of the era too of Jimi Hendrix. I think they they had been to a show the night before where they actually saw Hendrix. Yes. And um, went the next night to kind of jam and and take that influence and and bring it into a song. Thus, the result of of this song, I guess. And um, yeah, you know, it, it's it's like you like you said, it's it's so very, you know. You know, not polished, not, you know, like I said, nothing, nothing that they were, that it seemed like they were, you know, trying to gear up for the radio, but the radio took to it, you know, heartily. Yeah. So. Well, let's check it out. Cool. This is Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. Sunshine of Your Love. And we're going to move on to Tales of Brave Ulysses. Uh, this one really sounds like psychedelic to me. I think it, it helped popularize the use of a wah-wah pedal in guitar, uh, which you know became a real staple of psychedelic music. Um, I don't know if Eric Clapton, like you were talking about, was influenced by Jimi Hendrix, who used the wah a lot. He might have been. I don't know. Um, I, I I bet he was. I mean, yeah. Jimmy at the time was. I mean, he was like in his prime. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I I imagine that he probably was. I mean, he he was probably influenced by a lot of people. You know, yeah. Not just Hendrix. You know, definitely a lot of blues artists. I mean, you know, I mean that that went way back. So yeah. I mean, Eric Clapton is one of those people who 
growing up, I really did not appreciate as much as I do now. Um, you know, he's he's really very, very he's really very talented. I mean, you know, and his idea of, of how to play and 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 his feeling for for playing. I mean, he's he's very unique. You know, I mean, not a lot of people, you know, can because I mean, he and it, it can be subtle, too. I mean, you have some guys that's it's all power and, and, and big chords and but he's not always like that, you know. Um that's true. That's, yeah. That's the slow hand moniker. Right. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> right. So Yeah. And this song lyrically, um it kind of reminded me of like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. It's kind of that like acid non sequitur psychedelic, you know, uh lyric. Kind of like uh you know, like Alice in Wonderland kind of imagery. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, yeah. And the, and the song, it, it grooves too. Like this is like more, more of the, the idea of the so-called, you know, jam sessions that I, I was kind of bringing up earlier where like I said, the tape is off that then the first song, I mean, you know, where they, they kind of just let loose and, and, you know, it's like, like, Hey, let's just see what happens. You know? I mean, there's, there's some of that in this song, you know, I think, um, yeah, but they um, they definitely seem to kind of you know take influences from a variety of places and 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 make it work to where you know it, it it's it's rock music in a sense that has influences from a variety of musics you know um, and just some guys that really they really had good chemistry even though it seemed like especially the two of them are ready to kill each other yeah. at, at any given moment, yeah. which that, I really find that hard to believe in some ways, but in other ways, I guess not. I mean, okay. Like the police, they Sting and Stuart Copeland apparently hated each other's guts from day one, you know, <laughs> and with literally, I mean, they, they did this thing on MTV when, when they were on that synchronicity tour and they, they were talking to somebody, Martha Quinn, whoever, where, where Sting and Stuart Copeland were just kind of jawing each other. And then Sting throws a cup of water in Stuart's face. And then Stuart comes over the table at him. And then they're running and chasing each other. And I'm like, <laughs> and it did not seem fake at all. It wow. seemed very real. I was like, okay. And then Andy Summers is just like, he's just kind of sitting there. Okay. This is, this, <laughs> this is what I have to deal with every day. Is wow. Rock and roll, you know. Yeah. And I mean, apparently, still to this day, they're they're kind of not real cool. But, yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. That's interesting, and that that involved a bass player, a singer, and a drummer as well. Yeah. See again, <laughs> uh, well, power, the power trio. Yeah. Dynamic. I didn't yeah. even think about that. Yeah. And I mean, and I mean, they were. I mean, not to get away from Cream, but they were another group that just really creative. Lots of influences from, you know. <laughs> all over the place and you know just it was one of those things that eventually obviously had to end but yeah yeah with with cream i mean they you know so fast i mean really not even a whole three years but they they had some music that that influenced the whole generation of players you know yeah um even to this day i, I mean i i feel free it's not on the sound but i i love that song i mean it just has this weird kind of arrangement to it where the the time on the, the beat is is a little off and and the, and those vocals i mean this is just soaring vocals i mean they they were 
they were kind of, I guess, an, an anomaly. Is that the word? Where they they seem like a band that really should not have worked, you know, right. <laughs> on the surface. But for a minute there, they really did, you know. Yeah, yeah, for a minute, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, let's check this out. This last track from Cream. This is Tales of Brave Ulysses. <laughs> Leaden winter would bring you down forever, but you rode upon a steamer to the violence of the sun. And the colors of the sea find your eyes with trembling mermaids, and you touch the distant beaches with tales of brave Ulysses, how his naked ears were tortured by the sirens sweetly singing for the sparkling waves are calling you to kiss the white lace lips and you see a girl's brown body dancing through the turquoise and her footprints make you follow where the sky loves the sea and when your fingers find her she drowns you in her body Deep blue ripples in the tissues of your mind Tiny purple fishes run laughing through your fingers And you want to take her with you to the heartland of the winter And we just heard Tales of Brave Ulysses, and we're going to move on to Creedence Clearwater Revival, their album Willie and the Poor Boys from 1969. And uh, this was a band headed by John Fogarty, uh, started in San Francisco in about 67. So this band was um, right um, concurrent with uh, Cream. I mean, they both started at this in the same year. Uh, Credence lasted a couple of years longer <laughs> than Cream <Yeah>. did, <laughs> but uh, they were only, you know, CCR was only around for f- about five years, you know, yeah. making albums. And, you know, C- John Fogarty is very active and playing and stuff now with a band, but it's not Clear- Credence Clearwater Revival. You know, it's just him as a solo artist, although he does a lot of CCR material. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh yeah we kind of uh, roots rock pioneers um and i think he was heavily influenced by the band which we talked about on the show um who uh the band came out with this um just really roots rock style that i think influenced a lot of musicians and uh ccr was very different you know in the san francisco at that time uh, the really the hippie movement was going on and like we were talking about psychedelia and all this stuff and they really uh, stepped outside of that to do something different um, I thought it was interesting to read about you know how CCR sort of operated and how they ultimately broke up um, and John Fogarty really exerted an almost dictator like control over yeah. the band you know and everything the band produced and 
uh, he kind of he kind of was a control freak. I mean, he, he did yeah. everything, you know, he wrote the music and he arranged it and produced it and, and, uh, you know, kind of everything, which his brother really did not appreciate no, at, at no. all. Talk, you want to talk about bad, bad relationships, man. Oof. Um, they, I think a, a VH1 did something where, where they talked about them. Um, and to his deathbed, they, Tom especially, he was very, very not cool with that. I mean, you know, going back to Rock and Roll IQ, John Fogarty has one. He also is just very, very smart about how to make music and arrange, but like you said, was it was probably just stifling for everybody else, you know. Um, but uh, just really, really hard how you know, and 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 just different issues with their, their record label, uh, the way that group kind of came to an end. Um, just, yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, he was talking about um, that. Of course, the other members wanted to do more. You know, they wanted yeah. to sing. They wanted to to contribute on the writing and uh, contribute on, on the recording stuff. And he was, uh, John Fogarty was talking about how on one song, I can't remember which one it was, uh, how the rest of the members had gone into the recording studio without him and recorded like these backing vocal tracks for one track and, and did some percussion stuff. And then he went back later and listened to it and just, he said, it sounded horrible. And he took it off. And, you know, so th- I, I would imagine this would be very frustrating oh, yeah. For, for, oh, yeah. for the band members and... And for John Fogarty, you know, he just it seemed like he couldn't understand why they they couldn't just just get why he had to do everything. Yeah. You know, (laughs) again, like I said, the guy, he's really, really smart. I mean, his Yeah. Like I said, the so-called rock and roll IQ for John Fogarty is is really off the charts on a lot of ways. I mean, because he he can make music that seems on the surface so simple, but you know, is, is grooving enough to where, I mean, that those songs, they still sound really good today where they, you can put them up against stuff on the radio now that makes stuff, the new stuff on the radio now sound horrible, you know? Yeah. But I guess that was something hard. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it was just one of those deals where, like you said, his, his issue with control, it was, it was just too much. I mean, you have to have, you know, a certain balance to where if it's if it's going to be a one man show, then, dude, you know, let it be. But we're a band. You know, we have to, you know, we have to do something. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I think he obviously he, he operates a lot better as a solo artist. Yeah. You know, you know. Yeah. But um, the first track that we're going to listen to is Fortunate Son. And uh, this is a really one of the greatest anti-war anthems in rock, I think, you know, but it's, it's more than anti-war. I mean, it's, it's anti-war, but it's also kind of a condemnation of those who perpetuate war. And it's kind of a commentary on hypocrisy and, you know, false patriotism and all kinds of stuff. So he, he never really specified that it was about the Vietnam war. So it's kind of timeless in that way because it can be applied to any era you know, any war can be applied to what's going on now, dude. It could have be, it could be, have been applied to you know ancient Roman conflicts. You know, anything. Yeah. You know that. Um, so it's very 
enduring because it continues to be used this song because it continues to be relevant i think as long as there is power structure and and wars and all this kind of stuff it will continue to remain relevant you know yeah for sure um i I totally agree i mean you know i ain't no senator's son i mean that's there's there's no you know, bolder way to put that, <laughs> you know, that yeah. that's one of those lyrics where I, I just, I, even at a very young age, you know, hearing that I, I thought to myself, you know, this dude is, he's getting on somebody's nerves. I guarantee you. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. because I mean that, like you said, that still goes on today where, you know, if, if people are of a certain class or political affiliation or, or royalty of whatever you, whatever have you. I mean, they don't necessarily have to do the same things that people down on the ground, the ordinary man are ever going to have to do and that, let alone fight in a battle where you may have to spill your own blood. I mean, you know, and I mean, sometimes too on the surface, they, they may try to make it look that way, certain entities, but you know, nobody who's got control over that, that kind of situation is going to allow their son or daughter or whatever to, to go into a battle to be killed. I mean, you'd be crazy. You know, that's anybody. Nobody wants to, their children, you know, or their, or, or their parents or, or brother or sister or whoever to have to go off and fight and die. I mean, you know, right. even though you, defense of country is really important, you know, who really wants to go fight and die? I mean, you know, nobody. Right. So right. the way he puts it in this song, it's, you know, you're you're really no different than me but it's not fair and you know and i'm just i, I had to put my finger on it and, and let you know it, it ain't me <laughs> so yeah 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 well let's check this out this is fortunate son by credence clearwater revival Fortunate son, and we're going to move on to Down on the Corner. Um, and this is a, a much less serious song. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really kind of a story driven song, um, kind of in the vein of the band, but it's about a fictional band called Willie and the Poor Boys. Uh, this band that's busks, you know, on street corners for money. I thought it was interesting that they actually performed this on the Ed Sullivan show 
sort of as Willie and the Poor Boys. True. So they kind of dressed up as this band, and the bass player played like you know an upright string bass, and they did this show as you know Willie and the Poor Boys. Um, and yeah, it's it's also one of my this song is also one of my earliest musical memories. So I think my parents had this record. And they would play it on the record player. And it's just one of the earliest songs I remember hearing. Um, what do you think of this? Well, the, going back to the whole Willie and the Poor Boys thing, the, the thing that comes to my mind with that, uh, where, where groups kind of, you know, have a group within the group, is like the Beatles doing Sgt. Peppers. You know, I mean, they're 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 the Beatles, but they're kind of Sgt. Peppers, still in, in a weird, you know, sort of way. Not, not exactly the same here, but... Um, you know, I, I I look at that where they, like you said, they 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 have a story they tell, and they and they they have so many songs like that. You know, rolling on the river or, or primary, I should say. I said rolling on the river. Primary is it's it's just like storytelling. You know, uh, same thing with born on the bayou. Um, you know, just they they have so many songs where it seemed like you know almost like country music. That's another thing about country music where they. They tell stories. It it's a lot like that, and I mean that that's another thing about them where they were not from the South. You know, they were from California, right? And really didn't get to visit you know any Southern states, you know, until much kind of much later. I I I, I almost just assumed most of my life that they were until yes. you know, just recently, and I was like, really? Yeah, They're me from too. California. I'm like from San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's pretty interesting you know because i've never yeah. guessed that you know the the feel of that band and the groove is it seems very southern like they could have been from memphis like they could have been from texas mississippi i mean you know they they just have that kind of assimilation where they 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 feel southern you know which i'm, right. I'm sure is the point i never would have guessed i mean you know unless you know obviously reading about them they were from California. And again, like I said, going back to the, the storytelling, it, it seems like they, they take influences from the South, you know, country, you know, blues and soul and, and kind of make good mix of that. And, and still, like I said, they're, I guess some of the California is in there too, you know, somewhere um, as far as the influence of sounds out there. Um I mean, I, I, mean I, think, I wouldn't liken um, them to the Beach Boys, but no. You know. But I think Fortunate Son is one of those. Um, but down, yeah, I mean, down in the corner, I always assume they were from the South too. But I think it's the, again, I think it's that influence from the band. I think it's that influence from uh, John Fogerty hearing the band because yeah. it's obviously not a cultural influence. They didn't grow up in the South, you know. No. And they didn't yeah. really grow up with this music, so I think it's that they heard the band, and I think he was like, "Yeah, I want to do that," you know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, let's check this out. Cool. This last track from Credence Clearwater Revival. This is "Down on the Corner." Down on the corner, out in the street, willing to fall for the band, bringing it back happy feet. Oh! 
heard down on the corner and that is going to do it for episode 48 of the 1000 recordings podcast if you'd like to send us an email send it to 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at twitter.com slash 1000 rp you can go to the website at 1000 rp.blogspot.com and you can join us on facebook um and watch the video that uh that mitch posted <laughs> <laughs> and other stuff um also, uh, I wanted to announce that I am running a Kickstarter campaign to release a CD. So if you're interested in that, if you've ever heard my music and are interested in supporting that, head over to Kickstarter and do a search for my name, Anthony Joseph Landman, and it would be appreciated. And you can get a free CD or even a free LP. So wow. LP. Yeah. Good, yep. Good deal. Yeah. Um, and next week... Or next show, I should say. We're not going to be yeah, next, next week. week. Yeah, we're next show. Um, we're going to have. We're going to start with Regine Crespin sings Berlioz and Ravel, so some classical vocal music. Then we're going to have some Bing Crosby. That'll be cool. Crooner. Crooner. Super crooner. Yeah, and then another uh, album from this era that we were just talking about. Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, their album Deja Vu, Deja Vu. So yeah, from 1970. So, um, yeah, the, uh, an eclectic show next time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the, this the one. next the next couple of shows should be should be cr- pretty crazy. I, I mean, not to give away anything, just I I can't wait. It's it's some real fun stuff. The next couple of shows yes. that I, I I'm looking forward to. Yeah, me too, man. Um, so. Yeah, man. Uh, until next time, Mitch. I hope you have an awesome weekend next weekend in Puerto Rico. Yeah, um, if I if I get to go, fingers crossed. You know, stuff stuff happens sometimes, but we're we're going. I'm not gonna be negative. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I hope you get to go. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be in for some cool music, and I'll see everybody next time. Hey, bye, everybody. <laughs>